All right. Um, one one thing I had uh, Jeff Lester on, and we were talking about some of the units down in uh, southern uh, New Mexico, um, and I don't know if he said it or I said it, but I, I need a clarification from you. Uh, New Mexico, you buy the sixty-five dollar license, right? And then you do have to front the up to upfront fees. Um, some guys are calling in saying you guys said that you, that you don't have to uh, front the upfront fees anymore. I just wanted to get clarification. What's your understanding? Well, here's the way it all has to happen. I mean, as far as getting in in the outfitter pool, um, you got to make contact with an outfitter who is actually in the outfitter pool. There's some um, New Mexico registered outfitters that do not participate in what they consider to be the 10% outfitter pool. That's the tags that are allocated um, to that outfitter pool only. Um, so you got to make contact with them. Um, sign a contract is what the terms and the agreements of that contract are. Um, just kind of starting from scratch with you. Um, that agreement has to uh, state that you know you will be contracted with them for a minimum of two days. That's accompanied in the field during the hunt dates. Um, I know there's been a lot of confusion with a lot of all of that. Um, just to step back to what your, or your first question was, is yes, um, when I go in there and I apply a customer, um, whether they have an account, I can get into their account, or whether I have to build them an account, I can do that as well. But I basically, I will go in there and I will purchase that uh, game hunting license. There's also a button I can click on there that uh, if you do not draw, they will refund you that hunting license. Um, and then I will go in and purchase, um, uh, click on whatever species. Let's just take elk, for instance. I'll go in and click on elk. Um, I can apply you for an archery hunt, a muzzleloader hunt, and a rifle hunt. They're going to give you up to three choices um, to apply for, and you can mix and match it uh, however you want to do it. And then at that point in time, I'm going to add that to your cart. Um, first off, let me back up. I'll click another button that says that this is an outfitted hunt, and you click a, a little uh, square saying that you have a signed contract, and then you punch in the outfitter's number. Um, New Mexico has gone to, as of April 1st, they've gone to a tagging system, and so now we're going to get tags in the mail. And so you can either have uh, that tag be mailed to the client or you can have that tag be mailed to the outfitter. Um, there is that option, and then I will add that to your cart. So then I'll go in and let's say I apply you for an Ibex. Um, I can apply you for rifle, muzzleloader, and archery. And I have that conversation with guys. They're like, well, I want to bow hunt. And I said, no, no, I understand that you want to bow hunt, but let me ask you this question. Let's just say you did draw a rifle tag. Um, we're running 100% rifle and muzzleloader. So let's put rifle, muzzleloader, and then bow. So that way that gives us that option of uh, drawing that rifle and muzzleloader tag. And they said, well, no, that's not how it works. And I explained to them that in New Mexico, you're given an application number. Once that application number comes up, they will look at your first choice. If that first choice is filled, they'll go to your second choice. If that second choice is filled, they'll move to the third choice. So there's a chance of drawing a really good tag on a third choice because they look at all three of your choices before they move on to the next applicant. Okay. I don't so, know if that clears everything up for you uh, on how this whole process. Well, 
Yeah, sorry to interrupt, but one question I would have is for that guy that said he wants to bow hunt, what you're saying is don't put it as your first choice because you may draw a rifle or a muzzleloader in front of that, put bow as your third choice since it's a probably an easier draw. Um, but in that certain case, just to be clear, if, if that person does want to use a bow, can they use a bow during a rifle or a muzzleloader hunt, or does it have to be a rifle or a muzzleloader? No, sir, you can use um, a bow on a rifle or muzzleloader hunt, um, and you can also pack your bow with you. If you drew a rifle tag, you can pack your bow, and you can also pack your rifle. And so if you don't get a shot opportunity with that bow, I mean, you can still shoot it with a gun because you have a rifle tag. Okay. Um, I mean, I don't know. I guess I'm just, uh, the, the bow hunt's tough. I'm not going to pull anybody's chain and tell them that, uh, you know, the bow hunt is any short of a hunt. Um, we were very fortunate. We guided some guys uh, last year, three bow hunters in October. Uh, we killed two Ibex with a bow. The one guy that didn't kill, kill, uh, he actually stuck a billy that we couldn't find. It was, I don't think the billy actually um, died because he got stuck high in the back strap. And so we, we almost did the unthinkable and, uh, and went 100% on that October archery season. That's incredible. That's incredible. Well, uh, guys, welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. The voice you've been hearing is Joseph Graham of Graham Guide Services uh, out of New Mexico. And Joe, do you go by Joe or Joseph? Joseph, Joe, we either one. It doesn't matter. Okay. Uh, Joseph, um, why don't you, I've had you on the podcast before. Um, why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself and about your business, um, where you're located, uh, and such, and then we'll kind of dive into some of the details of this New Mexico draw. All right. Well, um, my name is Joseph Graham. I own and operate Graham's Guide Service out of South Central New Mexico. Uh, we are based out of a small mountain community called Ridoso. Um, we specialize in the elk hunting in this area for, you know, Unit 36, 34, um, we do uh, oryx hunts on the White Sands Missile Range. Um, we offer hunts over in Deming on the Florida Mountains for the Ibex. And uh, we will do a little bit of the stuff on the McGregor Range down there uh, towards El Paso. They offer, you know, deer, elk, and barber sheep hunts. So um, we do a, a little bit of that um, as well. We also offer uh, bighorn sheep you know, if you can draw that coveted tag, um, we offer uh, the desert and the rocky hunts um, as well. Good stuff. Uh, Joseph, uh, we talked last year before the draw. Um, how did last season shake out for you and your guys, uh, you, you know, on a year-on-year -year basis? Um, you know, how was last year stacked up against prior years? Well, last year we... Uh, we seem to be gaining um, numbers of clients that we are guiding uh, every year. Um, just a quick uh, reference, we guided 55 elk hunters and killed 45 bulls. Um, I'm wanting to say every person but possibly one uh, drew blood during that elk season, so we came real close to being 100%, um, but we didn't quite make that. Um, 
we uh, guided over on the Oryx on the missile range and went 100% on that. We uh, we had three archery hunters and a muzzleloader hunter on the Florida Mountains for Ibex, and uh, we had one gentleman that did not kill um, with a bow, but he did uh, wind up sticking a billy. So we came real close to uh, going uh, 100%, but not quite there. I mean, you know, being in shape and being able to shoot distance uh, makes a huge difference in and uh, our success as well as the hunter success it's it's a both of us have to be prepared mentally physically and and skillfully to be able to make make a company go 100 percent for sure yeah for sure i mean there's a lot of things that need to go right uh, especially when you're taking the volume of hunters it's one thing to be 100 percent you take three hunters um say we went three for three and it's 100 percent but when you start talking about the volume of hunters uh, that you take, uh, you know, it's certainly hard to go 100%. Uh, how long have you been operating uh, out of Rio Doso, and, and how long, you know, have you been guiding? Um, this last year was my sixth year uh, as an outfitter. Um, this will be, I mean, I was born and raised here in Redoso, so I've been here my entire life. Um, I've been guiding in this area. Unit 34 and 36, 37, you know, these right around this Rudoso area. Um, I've been guiding them for 25 years. Um, it, uh, it's an area that, you know, me and all of my guides are very, very familiar with. For sure. So one thing that's unique about um, New Mexico, Joseph, is the fact that you can put in for the draw um, and you can put in outside of what's called the guide or the outfitter pool, um, and then you can put in with a guide or an outfitter. And when you do put in with an outfitter, your uh, odds uh, go up considerably. We've talked about on prior podcasts, and I've, I've shown examples where uh, the Go Hunt Insider is obviously a title sponsor of this podcast, but you can you can go unit by unit, species by species, and see where going in the outfitter draw um, and, and you know, having that contact prior to the draw and, and getting hooked up with someone like yourself can up your chances in, uh, by double. Um, it doesn't mean you have great chances. It just means if you put in without an outfitter, your odds of drawing are half as, half as good. We start oh, yeah. podcast. We started the podcast and jumped into it a little bit. And one thing I want to clarify is uh, on the last podcast that I did with Jeff Lester, um, I need some clarification on the the, the the tag price. From what I understand, New Mexico used to be where you would, pay, you would buy your license and then you had to float the tag fees up front. And I'm not sure if I misspoke or Jeff misspoke on the prior podcast, but I just want to clear it up. In your mind, has New Mexico changed that, or do you still have to buy the license and you still have to pay the tag fees up front, or have they gone to like uh, some of the other states like Colorado, which changed this year, where you don't have to float the tag fees up front. You still have to buy a license, but I need clarification if you would. Is New Mexico changed, or is it the same? No, sir. New Mexico is the same. They're... The minute that you, I mean, you can add everything to your cart and then go in right before the um, deadline to apply, which this year is March 21st, 
um, you can add everything to your cart and not put it on your credit card or pay until that, you know, the deadline day if that's what you so desire. But at that point in time, they're going to charge your card every single penny, whether it's Bighorn Sheep for over 3000 Nibic 1600 I mean, they're going to take that entire amount off of your credit card. And then once the draw is, uh, comes out, and if you're successful, obviously they've already been paid for that amount and they'll refund you the next species you didn't draw, but um, you're going to be refunded your entire amount unless you do not check the hunting license box to get a refund. There's a, there's a box on there. You check up, says that if you do not draw anything, you want your refund on that hunting license, you can get every bit of your money back minus, oh, it's like $13, $14 application fee for per species okay. that they're going to okay. keep. Okay, and New Mexico is unique in the fact that it doesn't have bonus points or preference points. So you can apply for all that stuff and, you know, thrill your wife with a $10,000 or something, you know, thousands and thousands of dollars worth of charge. But if you don't draw, in essence, you get every penny back except for the $13 application fee, also including your license fee. So it's different than some states where you have to get a license and you have to buy it in order to draw. What you're telling me is you can actually get the whole shebang back except for the application fee. Yeah, that's correct. As long as you check that box. Now, there's a little box down there that if you don't check it, they're going to keep that license fee, um, and you'll just have a hunting license that year. And I agree with what you're saying. I apply in other states, and I have to front those hunting licenses that I never see unless I draw a tag in that state. New Mexico is unique in the fact that you can check this box and get your hunting license money back. Okay. Let's talk a little bit about um, the Ibex hunt um, and talk about the seasons as far as, you know, uh, the different, different uh, firearms, different bows, different things that you can use and the timing of those seasons. And we'll spend a little bit of time here on Ibex just, just going through it uh, and, you know, talk about each hunt and what makes each one special and unique. Well, um, I'll give you a, just a quick uh, insight on what's going to happen with us this year. Um, every year, the uh, Ibex hunt for bow, the very first hunt of what we consider to be the, the calendar year, which, you know, New Mexico Game and Fish, their calendar year starts April 1st to March 31st, okay? So, their calendar year, the first Ibex hunt, is October 1st, and that's an archery season. Um, goes October 1st to the 15th. Um, that hunt for us this year is going to be a little bit tight, um, just in the simple fact that um, we have elk season starting the 6th. And so you can see if we do a five-day hunt, you would be ending one on the 5th and starting one on the 6th. So there's a little bit of a tight window I've been visiting with hunters about that, uh, you know, we may have to bail on you um, that afternoon or that evening to get back and get prepared for the elk hunts because, you know, we do, we do guide quite a few people on elk hunts. So that's kind of the deal. But, you know, there's also, um, if, you, if you just say you draw that tag underneath the outfitter pool, we go over there and guide you. Let's just say, for instance, you don't wind up getting one. You can stay and hunt on your own till the 15th. You know, you've, commi you've committed your uh, obligation of being guided and outfitted for those two days, 
and I can hand you that contract, and whenever you get stopped by a game and fish officer, they're going to look at your license, see that it's a guided hunt, but you'll have a contract stating that, yes, I was here with a contracted outfitter, and I am obligated uh, to hunt with them, and now that uh, that part is over, you can hunt on your own with that license. Um, just kind of clarifying that. Um, then the next hunt is the once-in-a-lifetime rifle hunt, which starts November 15th. Um, that is the premier uh, Ibex hunt. You know, the, the Ibex are rutting. Um, they're running around the mountain acting crazy. Um, that's, a, that's a fun hunt. Um, I will tell everybody out there that the, the trophy quality is down. There's still some good billies on the mountain, but um, it's down a little bit um, due to the, the population reduction hunts that they've been doing trying to, to manage the, the herd size that they've got down there. Um, the very next hunt would be the, the muzzleloader. And don't quote me on this, but I think it starts December 5th or 6th. I, not positive. I don't have a proclamation in front of me, but it's somewhere right there that first week of December. Um, then it's going to run for a couple of weeks. Um, and then you've got a youth hunt that comes in uh, one or two days after Christmas and runs till I think, December 10th. And then uh, the next hunt will be the second bow hunt, which will start uh, January I'm wanting to say 15th or 16th, and it'll run for uh, about 15 days. And so that's kind of a, a quick breakdown. I didn't talk much about the the female or immature hunts. They also offer a a hunt on there for a rifle hunt that's a female or immature hunt. Uh, we typically uh, don't guide too many of those just because of the you know the cost of the license and the the cost of it. They also do a quick email out at the end of the year if you check that uh, that fourth choice option that you want to be set on a population management list. You can also be called um, around this time frame. They'll shoot out an email and say, hey, you've been selected. You can go over there and shoot a, shoot a nanny. It's a female or immature. Um, Billy has to have uh, horns of like 14 inches or shorter. And uh, once you've harvested that animal, then you can turn it into the game and fish and uh, they will put you in a in a pool of hunters. You know, it could be anywhere from 150 to 300 um, to draw out a either sex tag for uh, for that next year. From an outsider, I, I've on being honest, I've never even applied for the IVEX over there in New Mexico. But is it me, or is it does it? I mean, it sounds like they're just hunting the, the crap out of that mountain range and you know are they trying to wipe them out or what i mean well they're not trying but man it seems like it used to be such a trophy hunt and now it seems like it's it's uh you know has the hunt quality diminished and has the trophy size diminished or are, are they you know do they reproduce like rats and they're just all over up there well, they do reproduce like crazy um you know those those nannies are having twins and triplets and um I agree with what you're saying. Um, they do, you know, uh, produce quite a bit. They are hunting the tar out of them, and it's it's all based on the agreement that the New Mexico Game and Fish has with the BLM and the number of animals that they agreed to keep on the mountain. Um, I really would like to see New Mexico Game and Fish transplant 
them to another mountain range. It's just, it's a real touchy situation and a subject with the New Mexico game and fish um, as far as transplanting them to another mountain range because obviously they want to move more bighorn sheep all over the state um, versus this. But it would sure be awesome to see them figure out a mountain range that we could put them on that we wouldn't have to worry about them leaving and uh, have a second option or a second mountain range to hunt them because it is such an awesome animal to hunt. Um, if you've never hunted it, you ever come and do it once, you just you fall in love with them just to watch them. That's cool. They, they sure seem like neat animals for sure. Um, let's talk a little bit. You mentioned sheep. Uh, let's talk about sheep hunting, the units that you like. Um, you know, is, is it a premium hunt that you really focus on as a guide service, or is it since the tags are so limited, it's you know, not a super high priority, or how does it fall within your, you know, level of things that you, that, you know, like to guide and such? Well, I'll be honest with you, Jay. Um, our bread and butter is elk hunting. Um, mm -hmm. The the sheep hunts, you know, uh, there's there's some outfitters out there that are got their name uh, high on the list. Um, as far as the sheep hunting industry, you know, they've guided quite a few. We've uh, we've guided uh, and went on some sheep hunts, but you know, it's not our priority. It's like you say, the the sheer number of tags. I don't go to the conventions and uh, hang out with the guys buying the governor's tags and there's some guys that are doing that and and uh you know good on them uh, i don't do that i have guys that put in with me and just you know it's such a tough draw that i don't specialize or even put a lot of weight on those most of our stuff is is uh elk hunting some ibex some oryx but i mean our bread and butter uh, is elk hunting i I get a lot of what they call unit-wide tags for the elk, and so that that honestly makes it to where we can guide a lot of people. And uh, the sheep thing is just a, I don't know, it's a icing on the cake hunt. If you can, you know, get a hunter to draw that tag, you know, you get to spend some time in some areas and look over some rams and and uh, and do some stuff that you don't normally get to do. And you know, I I've hunted sheep for myself, and you know, sheep fever's a it's a tough thing to to try to manage. Uh, I, I know that this is not part of the podcast, but I was fortunate enough to draw a Georgetown archery tag in, in Colorado and uh, never stepped foot in the unit and went in there and in five days killed uh, an 11-and-a-half-year-old ram with my bow. So it's not a fact of uh, knowing the unit. If we can get somebody that can draw a tag, we'll go learn it and we'll find the biggest sheep we can find and get it killed. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, that Georgetown, that that's that's a dang good hunt, but it's a you know it's a tough hunt. Any sheep hunt's a tough hunt, but that's phenomenal. Eleven and a half year old ram. When did you just draw that last year? I did. Um, I got fortunate enough and and uh, put in for that archery hunt and decided uh, I would try the archery. Um, I killed a, a ram up in Oregon in the Snake River unit. Drew that tag and. Thought well, I'm gonna. I killed one of the rifle. I'm gonna try to put in for Colorado and drew that bow tag and you know spent a few days scouting. It's a tough unit. It's steep. Um, it's high elevation. Um, the 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 rams are are uh, they like to. Some of them are like to run to the trees as soon as it gets light. Um, you do have that buffer zone where you can't hunt within a quarter mile of uh, either of the highways, so that does uh, put a little twist on things that most people say. Oh. 
I see them in the wintertime all up and down the roads. Well, sure, um, that is the case that, you know, people are seeing them. I saw some on the roads when I was hunting one day, driving uh, back to camp, you know, a pretty nice ram, but couldn't do nothing about it but take some pictures of him. Yeah. Let's talk about, um, we're going to talk a lot about elk, but let's, let's cover your oryx hunts as well and talk a little bit about the timing of the season and um, the quality of hunt that those, those um, oryx provide? Um, you know, the oryx hunts, in my opinion, is a glorified antelope hunt. Um, the meat is awesome. The trophy is awesome. We're hunting, uh, you know, we can do, and we have done a few off-range oryx hunts. I uh, typically don't usually have put people in for those, but if somebody wants me to, if they've drawn their once-in-a-lifetime already, then I'll put them in for a broken horn or an off-range hunt. But Typically, our hunts are conducted on the White Sands Missile Range. Um, we're permitted to do so, and uh, it's a neat experience. The oryx are coming back. Um, I talked with the hunt program manager over there this year, and I think they're going to try to issue out a few more tags this year. Um, the proclamation cycle is coming around this year, so um, they're you know going to set new um tag numbers for what will be next year's proclamation but i do think they're going to increase and offer a few more than what's actually in the proclamation this year because the numbers are coming back um either the stallion or the roads canyon hunt we've guided um the hunters on both and they are both really good um to kill you know a 36 plus inch oryx um they're uh, they're an, they're a neat animal and the meat is really good and uh, we enjoy taking people out there and doing that hunt. It's it's a two-and-a-half-day hunt. Um, they do state it on the proclamation as a three-day hunt. Um, that first morning, uh, it goes a Friday through Sunday. That first morning, you're going to um, go on Friday morning and meet up at the gate and check everything in and go through an orientation. And at that point in time, when that orientation is over is whenever they decide whether they're going to let you go ahead and hunt um, due to uh, missions, you know, whether they're testing missiles or whatnot. Either they're going to let you go ahead and hunt. It may be half of your unit. It may be the whole thing. There's just, you know, there's certain rules that we all have to uh, wait and see what they're going to let us do. And then after that, Saturday and Sunday's wide open. So, you know, you can hunt, you know, pretty much your whole unit unless they've stated something different. But there's a good chance that you get to hunt that afternoon on Friday. Um, we have had one time out of, you know, all the hunts that we've done where they sent us home and said, come back Saturday. But they're, they're very awesome to work with, and, and uh, you know, they understand that that's a once-in-a-lifetime tag that you've drawn. So they work, with, they work with us very well on making sure that we all get an opportunity to get out there and hunt. How spooky are the oryx? Um, it just depends. I mean, they're, uh, they're definitely is not as plentiful as they were 15 years ago. Um, but the tag numbers, I mean, I hunted out there close to 15 years ago and there was 135 tags. Um, and so now you've got, you know, 45 once in a lifetime hunters and 10 or 15 broken horn hunters. So you got, you know, 50 or 60 people versus 135 people out there. So, you know, they're, they're still spooky. Um, but you get out there away from the truck, um, do some stalking, some glassing, you know, you're still going to be able to sneak out there and get on some and, and get one killed. One of the biggest things that uh, you have to deal with is uh, somebody who doesn't truly 
know anything about it is is you know driving up or walking up on a group of oryx that are all one year old um they call them juveniles you know they're that first year and body and horn size they look really big but you know i've seen people shoot one and you know they got 20 inch horns because they don't have anything to compare them with because there's no adult with them interesting interesting that's uh those hunts don't they run in february you know they're scattered throughout um there's a youth and uh, mobily impaired hunt on Rhodes canyon that is uh, the first week there in uh, September, and then they run a uh, October hunt on the Stallion, which we don't typically do anything with that October hunt because it's right in the middle of our first rifle elk hunt here, so it's just something we don't even put people in for is that October hunt. Um, then we've got a November hunt um, on uh, Rhodes Canyon, which we put some people in, a lot of the guys from back east, you know, that's their prime whitetail season, so that's kind of a tough time for some of them guys to want to come out here and hunt Oryx whenever they're just, you know, those guys live for that whitetail rut back east. Um, there's a, uh, a first week in January, there's a hunt goes back to the stallion, then a couple of weeks there in January, they go back to Rhodes, and then there's a February hunt back onto the stallion. So it's scattered from September to February. All right, let's talk a little bit about your bread and butter hunts, which are your elk hunts. And from what I understand, you have uh, you can guide people that put in in the regular draw, the non-guided draw. They can still use you if they draw unit 34, 36. And then obviously the people that that apply with you in the outfitter pool, and then as well, I believe you also have landowner or unit wide tags. Um, talk a little bit about those landowner and unit wide tags, how it works in New Mexico, and um, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe you do have access to a bunch of those tags. Yeah, that's correct. I mean. Um we do most everything in 36. I'll just let it, you know, most everybody know. I'm putting a few guys in that 34 stuff, but most everything we're doing is right here at home in 36. Um, I've got a lodge uh, right next door to my house that the hunters stay in. You know, it sleeps a lot of people. Got a jacuzzi. I mean, it's it's pretty nice. Uh, got a cook that cooks her meals at night. So we pretty much stay and do most all of our stuff here in 36. Um, as far as the landowner stuff goes, I have a... I have a ranch that is a ranch-only hunt. Um, it's a ranch that borders the, the reservation there, and it's ranch-only tags. It's what they call outside the core, so that tag is only good on that ranch. And then, like you said, we get uh, unit-wide tags, um, and I do deal with, uh, I buy quite a few unit-wide stuff. Um, that tag is just like as if you drew a permit. You can hunt anywhere in the unit, those landowners agree to uh, allow people to access their land, um, and that basically the reason the Game and Fish does that is because it just makes our hunt area that much bigger by, you know, combining that rancher's land into what we can all hunt. And so that rancher also agrees to allow um, people with an elk tag whether it is a landowner tag, a unit-wide landowner tag, or a drone tag, whether it's a, a cow hunt, a bow hunt, a muzzleloader hunt, or a rifle hunt, access to that land. So um, I have hunters that uh, 
you know, I kind of figure up about how many unit-wide landowner tags I'm going to have, and, and I sell those. I do have some what they call small contributing ranchers where they get something different every year. It may be a cow tag one year. It may be a rifle tag one year, and it may be a bow tag one year. It's because of the size of property that they have is smaller, and so they vary. And so I don't actually sell those. I, I wait till I get those before I try to do anything with them because obviously I don't want to oversell myself. And so, you know, if a person will get in contact with me and, uh, you know, get on my email list, then I can shoot out, you know, this is what I have available, you know, on this hunt this season. And it, and it can uh, also be spread out there that uh, I have availability in certain hunts that, I, you know, I didn't sell prior to just because I didn't know what I was going to get. Yeah, that makes sense. In a general price range uh, for New Mexico on landowner elk tags, uh, not only for the units that you guide, but what is a general rule of thumb depending on, you know, obviously, you know, bow tags, rifle tags, muzzleloader tags, whatever it may be, what's a general price range that guys are going to pay for some of those tags? You know, Jay, um, used to the bow tags were cheaper, and now it seems like it's over the last six, seven years, it's been the same price, whether it's a um, rifle muzzleloader tag or an archery tag. It's the same across the board as far as what people are paying. But as far as a general price, man, I'll tell you what, across this state, it varies from $1,500 to $15,000 depending on the unit. Um, there's some units that ranchers are getting $15,000 for their landowner tags, um, and then there's some that's getting as little as 1500 So unit-wide tags, and depending on the size of the ranch, you know, obviously has a difference in price. Um, the unit, the quality of and the, and the size of bulls, that changes the, everything. I mean, it's it's across the board. To say an average, I'm just going to throw for uh, 7000 uh, six thousand, you know, because you're looking at between fifteen hundred to fifteen thousand. So six thousand is probably an average. What kind of bulls? Let, let's talk archery for a little bit, and let's talk about season dates because I know New Mexico has a first, uh, roughly a first to the fourteenth, and then a fifteenth through I believe the twenty fourth. Talk about season dates on those archery hunts, and you know, quality of bugling, quality of hunt. Um, kind of the pros and cons of each season and, how, you know, maybe how it differs from year to year? Um, well, any seasoned elk hunter is going to know that year to year it can change um, depending on the weather, the moon phase, I mean, the temperature. That plays a huge role in, in our archery hunts and the way the uh, elk react to the, uh, the calls. Um, there will be that one year where you kind of look at the other guides and you kind of scratch your head and said, man, this, the rut just never really peaked. And then you're going to have that one year where you look at the guys and you're just smiling from ear to ear like, dude, this is crazy. Um, so that obviously can change from year to year. Um, we offer a September 1st through the 6th hunt. It's on that first season tag. We don't typically take hardly anybody at that hunt. It's basically there as a some guys can't make it on either one of those other two seasons, so I offer it. Um, I wished I could offer more archery seasons, and I'm trying to work with the game and fish to get them to split some stuff up because 
I offer six-day elk hunts on that uh, archery season. Um, and, you know, that obviously that second tag, that's September 15th to the 24th, is only good for 10 days. So there's no possible way, even on a five-day season, I can't get hunters in the place cleaned up and hunters out without dropping it to like a four-day hunt, and I'm not going to do that. So we offer a six-day hunt there in the first part of September. Our main uh, season on that first tag is the 9th to the 14th, um, and then the second hunt that we offer is the 19th to the 24th. I have people asking me all the time which one's better. I can't tell you which one's better because we seem to do good on both. Um, sometimes we do better on the first hunt, you know, that night to the 14th than we do on the second hunt. Sometimes we do better on the second. A lot of it has to do with what that moon's doing, what the temperature's like, how much is it raining. Um, it varies every year. Um, but we have been very successful. Um, we have a high bull to cow ratio, um, here in this unit. Um, bull size is not going to be what you might find in some of the, the Gila units, um, but, you know, you're going to have a, a good encounter of you're going to hear elk every day. You're going to see elk every day. Um, we have hunters that come here and hunt with us for the first time, and they just shake their head and say, this is crazy. I've been on hunts here and there, and, and you know, you spend seven hours horseback into the mountains and, and spend five days of hunting, and, you know, we saw two bulls. And, you know, most of the time we're going to show them that in a day. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a good unit for a good fun hunt um hunters ask me what, what are we talking about in bulls we're killing bulls in 280 to 320 um yeah we have killed bulls as big as 390 but i don't sell my hunts based on that it just happens um we don't charge a penny more um if you kill a 390 or 400 inch bull it's just you know good on you and and the stars aligned but our typical elk is going to be right at that 300 to 310 is kind of what I tell hunters that, you know, on average, if you take all the elk that we killed last year, we're going to be right at 300 to 310. How does the elk hunting progress as you go through the muzzleloader and then into the uh, first rifle seasons as far as uh, the bugling? Uh, and have you seen it where it's just incredible bugling during some of those firearm seasons? Oh, absolutely, man. Uh, the art, the archery season, we're out there chasing those bulls, and there's going to be some of them bigger bulls that we just can't get to get away from the cows. We can't seem to get in front of them. You know, we get busted or whatnot. So as a guide, you can't wait for muzzleloader season because of that next extended range. Um, the bulls are still screaming. This year, um, New Mexico... Um, always starts those muzzleloader and rifle seasons on a Saturday. Um, I don't know if anybody's ever really sat and thought about it, but every year our rifle and muzzleloader season gets a day earlier until they kick it back. And so this next year our muzzleloader season will start October 6th. And um, October 6th the bulls are still screaming. I seem to think that the peak of our rut around here is September 26th to the 28th. So um, the bulls are still screaming. They still come in on that muzzleloader hunt. Um, that muzzleloader hunt will go from Saturday to Wednesday. Um, we'll be off Thursday and Friday, and the first rifle hunt starts October 13th this year. And so the bulls are still bugling. Um, they're still carrying on. You're going to, on that first rifle hunt, you're going to start to see some of them bigger bulls pulling out. Um, 
you'll start finding some of them by themselves. They may not even say a word sometimes. Um, they're done. They're tired. They're wore out. All they want to do is eat. They want to stay away from most of the activity where, you know, some of these other bulls that didn't have as much fun during the rut are trying to chase their, their chance. And, and uh, so that's kind of what you're going to start to see by that second rifle season. Um, it's going to be October 27th, I believe, this year. And at that point in time, you know, you're going to find some satellite bulls with cows, but typically your bigger bulls are done. They're starting to group back up. You can kind of pattern those bulls. The bugling um, is pretty much gone, but we have encountered, you know, some bugling on that last uh, part of October, that, that second rifle season. Some of that higher country, you know, you can get up in there and hear, you know, some bulls still just carrying on, but typically they're they're just about done, so I tell guys, you know, don't expect a whole lot of bugling during that last rifle hunt. It's more of a spot and stock glass and patterning bulls. What kind of opportunity do you have as far as guiding elk hunters for youth? The youth hunt that is a, a draw-only youth-type hunt is in 34. Um, it's the same time as our muzzleloader season in 36. Um, it's a combined hunt of youth hunters and mobile impaired hunters. They get to hunt with a rifle in 34. Starting this year will be October 6th. It's a youth-only and mobile impaired uh, season. And um, we also um, are taking youth hunters over here on that first rifle hunt. Um, it's not a youth-only hunt, but uh, we had one uh, last couple of years, we've had kids on that first rifle hunt and got them bulls, you know, um, so... We can put guys, uh, youth hunters, in for 34, and then we can also throw both these rifle hunts in as their second and third choice in 36. Gotcha. That's all good stuff. Now, do you do it? Uh, do you do any mule deer hunting in New Mexico, or um, what? It just seems like the quality of deer hunting in New Mexico is not extremely good. I'm curious your take on that. <laughs> Yeah, um, you know, there's going to be uh, a governor's tag mule deer shot in this state that's going to be over 200 inches. There's going to be a buck shot on one of the reservations or even some of our premier, you know, up northern part, depending on the Colorado snow, there's going to be some big deer killed. I'm not going to tell you there's not even some of our uh, desert country, you know, is a good chance to produce, you know, those one or two of those 200 inch bucks. But on New Mexico as a whole, and even the areas that we typically hunt in, you know, we're looking at 140 to 160 bucks. And if a hunter wants to come and elk hunt with us, and they say, I've got a client right now, he buys a guaranteed landowner tag for Unit 36 for archery. He also has me put him in for this Archery 36 hunt, which he typically draws that Archery deer tag, and he's able to hunt deer and elk at the same time. But he knows what he's up against, you know. I mean, he's not here to kill a 190-inch deer because, you know, we just, this unit doesn't produce that. Um, there will be a 180-inch buckshot in this unit pretty much every year. But uh, those 200-inch deer just don't come from where, where we do most all of our hunting. Um, we can do a little bit in some of those units on the cap rock and, and uh, stuff like that. But we typically don't guide very many deer hunters. Um, you know, if we can lock our hands on a private ranch that might produce a, 
a 170 to 180 buck, we might get a little more involved in some of that deer hunting, but that's definitely not uh, what we do. We take some of our guys that have hunted with us for years deer hunting, but they know what kind of deer and what we're up against, and they're here to just hunt deer and have a good time. Gotcha. Well, I really appreciate you spending time with us uh, today talking about all the hunts over there around uh, that Rio Doso area. Um, and it's Rio Doso, right? And you're just out of the um, Mescalero Indian Reservation? Yes, sir. We Our Unit 36 borders the Mescalero Reservation on the north side. Um, and, and, yeah, we're based out of this town. It's a, it's a small community, uh, you know, tourist attraction with the ski area and the horse racing and the casinos and so it's a fun place it's up in the mountains you know the elevation here in town's around 7,000 feet um our elk hunts are conducted from 6,000 to 11,000 feet so um what I tell hunters that want to come elk hunt with us if you're in good shape and you can shoot you're going to get a chance at an elk there's no doubt in my mind speaking of getting a chance at an elk, how is the moisture stacking up this year? Um, I know it's been dry, but it seems like there's been some storms lately. What is your forecast going into this season? You know, I tell you, we've had a pretty dry winter, but, uh, oh, it's been a couple of weeks ago. We had two and a half inches of rain down here. Now the mountain up high got some snow, but we wound up with two and a half inches of rain down here, which is going to be phenomenal because a lot of the creeks that were dried up are running now um we've had some huge burns that uh helped us with some of this uh, moisture staying in the ground versus getting sucked up by all the trees and so there's springs and, and wallows and things that are reappearing that you know weren't there years and years ago because of you know the fires created a lot of uh, ground moisture um i don't know exactly what our you know our stack up is it looks like we should have a decent um, moisture, which is all we're asking for. The bulls are starting to drop their horns right now. Um, so all we need is that temperatures to change and, and start warming up and a little bit more moisture. And I think we're going to be setting good with that two and a half inches that we just saw to start greening things up and get that kicked off um, until we get what we call our monsoons in July, which is where things really pick up as far as moisture. Well, all we can do is be optimistic. Uh, I want to give you a chance to let the listeners know how they can reach you, how they can find out more info, how they can talk to you, et cetera. And um, I just appreciate you spending time with us here. Well, Jay, I want to thank you. Um, I have had quite a few people contact me from the last podcast and you know, say, oh, I heard you on a podcast. And so it's been uh, something that I appreciate you doing and, uh, you know, getting things out there. It's amazing. Um, the way that people start hearing about people now. I mean, a lot of our stuff is word of mouth, but uh, we have done a TV show for 20 years, so that brings people in to us. Uh, you know, podcasts like what you do, I'm hearing people all the time, you know, saying, oh, I heard you on the podcast. So I appreciate you uh, giving us the opportunity to uh, talk about New Mexico and what we have the, to offer. Um, the, the best way is uh, my cell phone. If you want to physically talk to me, um, call me on my cell phone, which is 575-937-2099. Um, you can also just Google Graham's Guide Service, G-R-A-H-A-M-S, Graham's Guide Service. Um, it'll pop up, and all of our information's on there. 
Um, there's photos to look at, stuff to look at. I have not even had a chance to upload um, all of the photos that uh, that we took this year. Um, just been busy, and I haven't had a chance. So um, we also um, have an Instagram account with Graham's Guide Service, where if you want to truly know what's happening with us as far as what we're killing or what we're doing, you know, that's the easiest way for those of you that might have an Instagram account to follow us on Instagram, and you'll be able to see those animals as it happens. Um, and that's that's one of the easiest ways because I manage the website, and so I'm not going to have the time to sit in there and upload new photos every time. Um, if you get on our email list that I just started doing, I created a, a mass email list. I'm going to start trying to shoot out a few photos that direction and let some of the guys that don't do Instagram, you know, get some uh, some photos from us, you know, as it happens. So that's it's going to be starting to have an array of communication to get out there and let everybody see what we're doing. Right on, buddy. Well, sounds good. Well, God bless, and thanks for spending time with us here, and look forward to seeing your success photos from this fall. And, uh, yeah, good luck in the draws yourself, and congrats on uh, shooting that ram up in Colorado, and uh, look forward to meeting you in person one of these days, all right? That sounds good, Jay. I appreciate everything, and uh, I'm going to have to come down and chase some of them coos deer with you guys because coos deer is one of my passions. Awesome. Sounds good, buddy. Well, anytime. All right. Take care. Thank you, Jay. Bye.